Hello, I'm Liz Jones. If you read my diary in the Mail on Sundays You magazine, then you'll know me and my life pretty well. But if you've always wanted to know more, this is the place for you. Welcome to Liz Jones's Diary, the podcast. I'll be taking you behind the scenes of this week's column before digging back into the archives to find some of the most shocking and hilarious stories from the last 20 years. I'll be doing all this with the help of my assistant, friend and confidant, Nick. Hello. Plenty Easter I'll be all in clover and when they look you over I'm making up words the proudest fellow in the I don't like Easter. I don't like hot Easter. cross buns. I don't like dried fruit. Now we we did. Have I don't that like Easter room, eggs, didn't we? Do you remember at the tea room we had a Miranda Priest? The woman I said, "Can you pick them out?" No, yes. that was a scone. It wasn't. A, it wasn't. It a was hot a cross scone. Bun. It was a scone. But you wanted to have them picked out. That was very Miranda Priestly. How can you not like Easter eggs? What is wrong with you? But they're like lovely. Chicken giblets, you get this package in the middle and a, a tiny amount of chocolate buttons. I love Easter eggs. I love Easter. I love Easter. I love, I love, I love bank holidays. I love. I don't get nice. bank holidays. I work 365 days well, a year. Well, you don't get bank holidays with horses and stuff anyway, but it's a principle. It's a principle. Everyone's in a good mood, aren't they? Because they're, they're out and about doing stuff. So you don't want an Easter egg I don't egg like thing. Easter. Oh, you are miserable. Oh, dear, you are miserable. Well, I've got the disease that means you can't be happy and enjoy Easter. Get your neb round an Easter egg. That'll cheer you up no end. I don't care what you say. Talking around a priestly moments, shall we, shall we divulge this week's? Is this abused Liz again? It's not abused Liz. You introduced some Miranda Priestly things. You only yeah, because I thought it was funny. Yeah, exactly. But so does everyone else. So we're carrying on with it. So this week, Liz has upgraded her iPhone because the other one was on the on the verge of, of death. Isn't it funny with an iPhone, you get to like 23 months or whatever it is and you're just thinking, oh, I'll get a SIM card and make it cheaper and then nothing works. Nothing works. I think it's on purpose. So why was I Miranda Priestley? So you are, yes, so, and I had a bit of phone envy. I had a little bit of phone envy because I, I do like my tech. So she's got a 14 Pro Max, and I was thinking, oh, love it. So she said, you like my phone, don't you? I said, yeah, she's jealous of my phone, aren't you? I said, yeah. Are you jealous, though? I am jealous, though. Is it, though, that I'm jealous? So she said, I said, yeah, no, I'm quite jealous. And then she said, well, I have to use it for work. I'm not playing on it like a 12-year-old. Which is what you do. And she went all haunty, like, I'm not playing, which is what I do. I love it. I can't help it. I love my tech, and I love my stories. And then 10 minutes later, she said... I can't get this to work. 
I can't get this up to it. Can you look at it? Can you mend the phone? See? So being a phone geek and loving technology is very useful to you, is not? You've got to have some function. It's not, is it? It's not like being a 12-year-old playing on their phone. I was useful to you. I was, though. I was. But I couldn't download my senior rail card. You could <laughs> even though when I get on the train now, the inspector doesn't even bother to look at my senior rail card. He just looks at my face. Well, it was a good job, really, considering you couldn't download it. You wouldn't want to miss your discount, would you? Well, do you know what I've been reading this week? Go it's on. Book of the Week. It's had rave reviews from everyone. Okay, though. And it's called Good Girls, A Story and Study of Anorexia by Hadley Freeman. Right. And it's had rave reviews everywhere. And it's weird. I haven't been sent a copy by the PR. I haven't been asked to review it. And I would have thought of all the people in this country who would have been sent a copy and asked to review it would have been me. Even worse, I requested a copy and still haven't got one for you, obviously. So <laughs> that's even worse. That's salt in the wound. Well, don't you think someone would have thought, oh, I know who's the perfect person to review that book? Yeah. Because I've been through it and it's weird reading the extracts that I read and reading the review because obviously I haven't been sent it and I haven't been asked to review it. It's She's so similar to me. Yeah. And I think me and Hadley should have been friends, really, but we've never been friends. Although I used to, I Well, I used to see her at the fashion shows. I remember seeing her once outside Burberry. When she was writing for fashion for the Guardian, I was writing fashion for the Daily Mail, and she didn't even say hello to me. And I once offered her a job on the Evening Standard. I didn't even get a hello. The women are very funny, aren't they, with other women? Do you think it's like being competitive, like you know, being in the same industry and sort of vying for you know? But my attitude position. has always been: you should help each other. Yeah. Like I thought she was really talented. I took her for a drink at a hotel opposite the Mail and offered her a job. It's weird. Yeah. But it's weird, whenever I sat at the fashion shows, I'd have two people each side of me having a conversation around me. But they didn't actually speak to me. So anyway, I'd have loved to have reviewed it and I'd have loved to have read it, but obviously I'm persona non grata. But there was a particular passage in the extract in the Times because she left the Guardian. And when she left the garden, she wrote a letter to Kath Viner, the editor, criticising the paper, which then became viral. And Kath used to work for me as well. Everyone used to work for me. I was going to say, it's like every name you mention, they used to work for you. So the little extract that, that chimed, and I'm going to le- read you, podcast listeners. Podcast pickers. <laughs> I'm going to read you an extract from my book which didn't get all the rave reviews in the Times, but anyway, never mind. Oh, no, the review of my book in the Times says, you might not want to be Liz Jones, but you'll relish her talent to amuse and enrage. Well, that's quite nice. That's quite positive. Anyway, so this is a little extract from Hadley's book. It was just after my 14th birthday, May 1992. See, she's a fetus. We were all sitting in a circle at the end of PE at my school in West London. I was next to someone called Lizzie, not me, whose identity in our year was that she was the skinniest. Mine was that I was American. I stretched my legs in front of me, liking the way they looked coming out of my loose PE skirt, rangy and scrappy. Next to Lizzie's bony limbs, though, mine looked like matronly trunks. 
I'd never thought about Lizzie's skinniness before, but when I asked, is it hard to buy clothes when you're so small? I felt a small ache. Imagine being so special that they don't even make clothes in your size. Yes, it is difficult, she said. I wish I was normal like you. Normal. It was a black tunnel open inside me and I tumbled down it. I looked down. When did my thighs become so much bigger than my knees? Not going straight down like they should, but ballooning outwards like drumsticks. That moment... It's almost identical to the moment in my book yeah. that I wrote. Well, how many, how was, how long ago was that? Your book. It was when I was in Haiti. Haiti. Yeah, I remember I finished it in Haiti because there was a storm and I got food poisoning. Anyway, that moment of the girl saying, "Oh, you're normal." Yeah. You're not tiny. You're normal. In the book, she said that doctors call it the precipitant or the trigger. The moment that sets off anorexia. Hadley says hers was being told she looked normal. But really anything would have triggered me because the anorexia was a bomb inside me just waiting for the right moment, the single flame, the trigger. Her fall was instantaneous and vertiginous. So when I read my extract, you'll see I had that moment, the precipitant. Yeah. Perfectly normal, perfectly normal, normal child, age 11, perfectly normal. My mum brought toast and marmalade yeah, yeah. to bed on a Saturday before I had my riding lesson, which I paid for by washing up. And my sister said, do you know how many calories are in that marmalade? That will make you fat. That yeah. moment, Instant. the switch in my brain switched just like that. Isn't it strange, isn't it? One conversation, just something said and, and that can change the trajectory of your whole life. But I think it also depends on whether you're vulnerable to those triggers. Yeah, definitely. So I was very nervous, very shy, had no confidence. But that was a trigger and that was something for me to latch on to. Yeah. And in a life over which I had no control and I didn't like myself, I thought, oh... That's what I can be really good at. And it was partly also because I had older sisters and Hadley talks about not wanting to be a woman. I had older sisters and they seemed so chaotic, obsessed with boys, obsessed with flirting and having another boyfriend and someone having an affair and everything. I just thought, I do not want to be like that. I don't want to grow up and have breasts and babies and chaos and stuff my life has to be very 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 controlled and it's protecting your own space isn't it as well like that's your little box and you're safe in that little box and there was a review in the times of the book so the writer who reviewed Hadley's book says there's no glamorization of eating disorders in the book and little or no blame in this account of illness and recovery but there's a lot of myth busting Anorexia is not about being thin or becoming Kate Moss, which is true. You're not attractive. I certainly wasn't. And in my memoir, I talk about all the things that happened to my body as it sort of ate itself. But I think it's slightly disingenuous because Hadley did then become a fashion writer for many, 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 many years. So there must have been something about that world that did enthrall her. That, so people deny there's an influence from the fashion industry, advertisements, TV advertisements, posters, catwalk, fashion shows. 
But it must have affected her in some way because she was enthralled by it. She wanted to write about she wrote, it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that was her career, writing yeah. about fashion. I mean, she doesn't anymore. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? No, definitely. I mean, yeah, there are so many triggers. There's so many reasons. And, you know, it was never that for me. Uh, but I did want to be thin. I did want to look nice in clothes. It wasn't because I wanted to look like the girl in the poster. I wanted to be thin and, and a size 10 and be in this and feel good about myself. But then I didn't ever have an interest particularly in fashion, you know, not, not in the way of designers or wanting to work in the industry. I had no interest in it. But I think if you are that way inclined, it has to affect you, surely, because yeah. it, it, it's... It's part of your life, isn't it? If you're writing about it, you are affected. Do you by want it. to hear my extract now? Yeah, yeah let's hear your extract now. Every morning, my mum would bring me toast and marmalade and coffee, gold blend, instant. Ordinary Nescafe, like ITV, was considered common. She would bring me this in bed. That morning I was sitting up taking delivery of this on a Saturday, aged 11, when my sister in the single divan across the room said, you'll get fat if you eat that. Really? There were loads of calories in that toast and in orange juice and in a can of tuna. My mum shuffling around the room, hobbling because she was very bad off right. She opening curtains and collecting laundry. Didn't tell Sue off for saying this to me. If she had said anything, it would have been, a little won't hurt, or you must eat something. I was due to go for a riding lesson that morning. I went once a week. My black cap, the only proper kit I owned, was carefully wrapped in cellophane between each outing. I can still recall the delicious smell of new velvet. I told my sister that if I didn't eat, I would probably fall off flicker the black pony with the sensitive withers. As I propped on one elbow and chewed and sipped, I thought about what I was eating for the very first time. The butter was big lumps on the toast. The marmalade was homemade. It had large bits of peel that I picked out and placed around the side. I have never stopped thinking about food from that moment on, what I ate today and what I will eat tomorrow. At least I had a purpose to my day and I'd be better at it than any of my sisters. I'd be on a diet and I'd be good at being on a diet. I would be unswerving in my commitment and my application. I would have a grilled tomato and perhaps an egg. Nothing swimming in fat. It was as though a switch had been turned in my head. It's exactly what Hadley saying now in her book. Many other sufferers from eating disorders have told me it also took one unkind word or a photo for their switch to be clicked on. I felt that flesh was bad and lazy. Flesh called problems and mess and expense, bleeding and sanitary towels and boys and weddings and arguments and overdoses and tears. And it meant I wasn't trying hard enough to be good. Within months, when I turned up for my riding lesson, the owner, a hard-faced woman, would look at me and tell me she was worried I was getting so thin. She didn't tell my dad, who was always sitting patiently in his car. But I loved the feeling that being thin, almost weightless, gave me. I was good at it. I would gaze, never at my face, but at my collarbone in the mirror. I would run my fingers across my ribs like a xylophone. I wanted to look as small as I felt. And now in Hadley's book, she talks about being in and out of hospital four or five times and 
all that did was make her good at being an anorexic because all the girls taught her how to be. It's interesting, isn't it? Because as, as someone with eating disorders, you become an exceptional liar because you're protecting this this need to not eat or to, you know, whatever it is that you will do in taking laxatives, not eating, whatever it is. People that care about you don't want you to do it and you become this absolute master of lies to carry on. Well, my parents didn't really want to interfere and they wouldn't have talked about stuff like that. And also when I was anorexic, I didn't know it was called anorexia. I'd never heard of it and I never knew anyone who did it. I thought I invented it. Yeah, yeah. I didn't think anyone else knew how to do it. No. And at the time, isn't it? It's a very simple thing. You know, you you, you stop eating. And there is this feeling of willpower that you are good at something, superiority in in a way, isn't there? Which is, that in itself is damaging. So she talks in the book, which I haven't been sent and I haven't been asked to review because no one asked me to do anything, about being in hospital. So I'm just going to read you the page about me being in hospital. So I was in St. Bart's, which is next to the meat market. Anyway, I used to go once a week and then this happened. One day at my once a week out clinic at the endocrine clinic at St. Bart's, stepping triumphant off the scales in my Paul Smith coat, I made a loud whooshing noise like the sea as the water in the bottles I'd strapped around my middle so I'd weigh more started whooshing. A matron patted me up and down for all the world as though I'd been shoplifting and she revealed my subterfuge. The consultant was summoned. Oh dear, I must be punished. I was admitted and placed on a ward with lunatics. There was no eating disorder unit in those days. I was incarcerated for six months. Not once during this time was I asked why I wanted to starve myself. It was terribly lucky I by now finished my journalism course and was unemployed. Oddly, though, I felt safe. My little side cabinet was all neat and flawless. I had a view of the square outside, and I could hear the men in the meat market calling and shouting early each day. I could smell the blood on their white coats. They were like giant, slow-moving sanitary pads. I no longer had to go outside, something I found scary. I had already become increasingly agoraphobic. I couldn't get on the tube because I I was going so blind, I couldn't see which station I was at because I I ate so little I couldn't see. awful. I no longer had to get dressed or put on makeup. I no longer smelled like rose petals as my limbs no longer had to be nut brown. I used to put on this fake tan that smelt of rose petals. I didn't have to talk to anyone. I let the whiskers on my chin, because you get terrible hair growth and acne when you have anorexia. I let the whiskers grow long. They gave me something to knit. My feet became soft from not walking anywhere. I didn't want to leave my cell. I had complete control of it. I looked down at the nurses, who always seemed to be chomping on something, making cups of tea, stirring, eating, chewing. How work shy. And I think that's something that Hadley slightly misunderstood about my writing. I find eating a mess and everything repulsive and not controlled and a superpower the anorexia has. But I'm not saying that's me being right or a good thing. It's a mental illness. So you read the the paragraph where she criticises me in The Guardian. See, don't say I'm not bitter. No, no, you're definitely not bitter. Absolutely not. 
Um, right, so we've got Hadley, and this was in, I think, 2009. And she says, and we're assuming it's you, because you're not actually mentioned, are you? But well, it's we, got to be me, it's got to be it? you. I mean, I read it and went, oh, that's Liz. Um, so I think anyone else would. So she says, one former magazine editor turned tabloid journalist in particular has done commendable work in campaigning against the use of overly skinny fashion models. However, her fondness for discussing her own eating troubles replete with descriptions of I love my concave stomach and regard women are fat as somehow lazy. They just don't try hard enough. Don't, to my mind, illustrate the dangers of the media's veneration of thinness. In fact, to vulnerable readers, they are surely as dangerous and potentially influential as the photos of skinny models the journalist professes to abhor. No, but I don't agree with that, you see, because I am big. I'm showing you the ugly side of when you have a mental illness like anorexia. You think you're a superwoman. You find food disgusting. You know, I'll be in a, at a car park outside a garage getting petrol and people come out and they're all eating as they're walking along. And I'm like, what? why does everyone have to be eating the whole time? But what had to misunderstand is I'm not saying... That's great. I'm yeah. saying it destroyed my life and I have a mental illness yeah. and I can't see beyond it. And it's also being And honest, also describing my... Yeah, it's about being honest. Yeah, yeah. And descri- I'm sure in the books that I haven't been sent and I haven't been asked to review, she does describe her eating disorder yeah. and what her body was like because if yeah. she doesn't, she's not doing a very good job. No, and... and it's, like the, it's like the sperm-stealing thing. I wasn't saying it was a good idea. I am just taking my guts out and spilling them. I'm not trying to appear nice or right. I'm telling you the reality of what it is to be like this. Do you want to know what I've been doing? Yeah. Well, eating. (laughs) Eating. Well, I will be at Easter. Roll on the Easter eggs. Sort of following on really from what you're saying, we've got new series out, Naked Education. I've seen the trailer. I haven't seen the programme. Yeah. Well, I kind of thought, you know, I'm a bit over all this naked. Is it Channel thing. Four? It's Channel Four. It's all of all the all the all the episodes are available now, so you can binge it if you want to, which is what I did. And I'm kind of like, do you know, I'm a bit over this naked thing. You know, we've had naked attraction, which I'll be honest, traumatised me. It tra- bring back blind date. I don't want these close-ups on people's genitals. Doesn't I don't. it prove that people look better with their clothes on? Oh, my God. I'm just like, I put it on one day accidentally. I, I, and I was like, I've got a porn channel on, on Sky. What's going on? Didn't like it. We've got, this week, we've got Naked Alone and Racing, a new season of that, I think, starting this week. We've naked got what? Naked Alone and Racing to Get Home. It's where people go off... And no, but I got. thought we were talking about naked no, education. No, I am, but I'm saying there's, there's, there's a whole lot... Like, that's another one this week starting. So yeah, it just shows you it. the commissioning editors at Channel 4 have got no imagination. So I'm like, what, you know... What about a nice going... film about ponies or something? Just put, put your clothes on. So I was kind of like... I watched it because I was quite interested in the subjects that they were talking about. But I was kind of thinking, do we really need to be naked to talk about these I'm subjects? I'm never naked. And, and Well, no. No, I don't want to be naked. I don't even no want to get bubbly. in the bath, really. I have bubbles so I don't have to look at my body. Well, I've kind of always thought about being naked as a pretty private thing. I mean, yeah, push up, bra, low cut, but the nipples are definitely in. <laughs> if I could take a picture of Liz's face. I'm sorry, I do like a nice push up, bra. It lifts everything up and takes and takes the attention off of everything else. 
so uh, yeah, so I, I thought I've got to watch it because it's got some good subjects. And what I have is the to point say, of bad education and naked education? Are you not well, explaining it? No, no, I was just going on to the naked bit first. I'm going into the program now. So basically, you've got you've got different aspects of the program. You've got a group of teenagers that are with Dr. Alex and, and another presenter, and they get naked people in front of them to discuss different issues. So old people, naked old people, body hair, body to, um, type. And so we see the reaction of, of the teenagers and what they think. And I found that quite interesting, actually, because what teenagers think now in comparison to when I was a teenager, it's off the scale different. They're talking about... Special they, worth. Awful. They're talking about that they would they would like plastic surgery. What One girl, I think she was 14, saying about having a, a breast reduction. Another girl was talking about having her cheeks... Um, operated on to pull them in because she's got too much fat around her face. And what are they saying about the bodies they're looking at? Well, it's quite interesting because their idea is bodies should be hairless. That's that's certainly one thing culturally that we're finding at the moment with the internet and and the way things are. And so there was there was a group of women that ranged from having no hair to hair. And one woman had um, polycystic ovaries, so she had a, a, a beard, she had facial hair, hair on her stomach. But this sounds to me like it's a bit of a freak show at but, the circus. And I wasn't overly comfortable with all these naked, especially sort of, you know, there was there was a uh, geri- uh, geriatrics sort of naked in front of the kids. And the kids were sort of saying, you don't look as bad as I thought you would. You don't look as wrinkly as I thought you would. And I just wasn't that comfortable but watching the program the kids really did get something out of it they really did review their opinions they really did look at what they thought that should be and and was very aware that it was to do with social media and they talked about fashion and models and the influence of of these gorgeous people that was out there and influencers and selfies so that there was a there was a shift in in the way that they thought about it. And I just found it really interesting to see how teenagers, because obviously I don't have children or anything, and I don't know many teenage children, and how they've just changed, how our priorities have changed since I was a kid and how our views have changed. I mean, I didn't even think about it. It wouldn't have occurred to me plastic surgery. or I found it really sad because even at that age, they're comparing themselves with other people. They're putting themselves down and they want to change. And they're not even grown. I mean, we don't look like we do at 20 that we, as we do at 14 I when do. our features change. Yeah, but that's because you're digitally enhanced. You know, and it's kind of... So that was a sort of really interesting exercise that I wasn't necessarily entirely comfortable with, and I know I'm a bit of a prude. But the bit I, I really quite liked was they do these meetings of, of two people. So we had... Two women that had, had gone through childbirth and had had um, sort of problems, you know, baby blues and and cesareans, and they had their scars. And we had another uh, couple that was two transgender men that was talking about their experience. Uh, menopausal women, the group of menopausal women were great. They were absolutely great. They were very funny. And I really liked, and it was a bit sort of what we were talking about, you talking about your anorexia and talking about, the, the, the truth, the, the hard side. And they were having some really sort of quite deep and honest conversations as two people that had shared the same experience. And I thought that was incredibly valued. 
valuable. I don't know why they then had to be naked to do to do it in some cases, not in all cases, but there was, you know, while we then had to take our clothes off to show our scars and stuff. I don't know how that validated what they were talking about. I thought, mm, is that necessary? But they got something out of it, which is great, marvellous. But they had a boy that had had his arms, um, his arms amputated and his legs amputated. And he was just so inspirational, so brave, so amazing, so candid. And then he met this man that had been through the same experience who has done wonderful things since since having his arms and legs amputated. He does sports, he's, he helps people, he educates people. He, he, and he says he has a better life. He, and it's hard to think, wow, how can you have a better life in that situation? But he spoke so movingly and he was so supportive to this this amazing little boy and actually, it just brought home how important it is to have conversations, how important it is to be honest, not to pretty it up, not to make things sound better than they are, but to be really, really honest about what people go through and how you can connect with each other and support each other through it. So I liked that aspect, honestly. It, I, don't I wonder how much they pay me. people to take part. I don't know. Why are you considering it? No, I'm just saying <laughs> Yeah. very often people do reality TV and stuff because yeah. they're being paid money. Yeah, and I don't know. And, and I kind of feel I'm a, I'm a bit over the get naked thing. I think there was a lot of really valuable stuff in this program, a lot of really good discussions, a lot of honesty, really interesting people. I just kind of think, do we need to keep taking their clothes off? Is it for ratings or is it a valuable part of therapy to take your clothes off and have a photo shoot or whatever? You can read this week's diary in full on Mail on Sunday's You magazine. Do you want to hear this week's column? Go on then. Are I'm you sure getting nude in it? Absolutely gagging. I'm gagging. I'm riveted. Riveted. I didn't get that. Could you try again? <laughs> that was Siri. I'm saying I'm riveted, and he said he didn't get it. <laughs> I hate Siri. Oh, I, I hate that. Siri. That's so funny. I hate Siri. It tells me off for swearing. No, I get told off for swearing. I didn't understand It's that. like having a husband. I actually had Siri once when I was swearing at something. To reply. I'm not going to respond to that. I love it. Do, should we start off with my moans? Go on. Because I think about all of them are yours. Are you, Am I moaning about you apart Go on. from one? Go on. Go on. Moan about me. Go on. Have the floor. Go on. Do your worst. So Jones moans. People who always say, oh, no pressure. Life is all about pressure, Nicola. No, but sometimes there's good pressure, isn't there? And you just have to be a No, bit but you ask you to do something, you say, oh, no pressure. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah, well, there is pressure involved. We're talking, we're talking Megan Doppelganger here. There is pressure. There is. Go no, on. You always say, no pressure. Yeah, but, but I'm being pressure. ironic, isn't I? I'm being ironic. Go on then. What's the next? This, this should be Jones Moans about Nick. People who say it's not my fault in a Catherine Tate voice, it is your fault. It's not my fault, though. I cannot tell you how many times you it's say not, it's not my fault. It's not my Something's got to be your fault. You miss it. I, I, I always say it's not my fault, though. Escalators in department stores that make you do a 10k circuit of the shop floor in order to escape from the shop. Well, you can't bloody blame that one on me. 
No, but that's a different subject. Oh, thank God for that. <laughs> We're all about me. Why do they not have the down escalators right next to each other? You go down the floor, then you have to walk all the way around the shop to find another one going down. Marketing. So I'm raging in Selfridges. How do I get out of this shop? Because while you're walking around looking for the exit, you're walking past more stuff that you might want to well, buy. Well, exactly. But I exactly. think that's wrong. It's making me tired. But it's clever. It's not clever. It's exhausting. If you had a business selling stuff, you wouldn't want someone to just go, no, I don't want it and walk out. You'd want them to walk around all the, all the nice no. things and spend money. Yes, you would. This week's column is called In Which I Go for an Upgrade. <laughs> and that could mean so many things. I am literally clutching my pearls. I'm outside Tiffany and Co. in London's Old Bond Street with the box containing the last vestige of my 40-year love affair with David 1. David 1. 1.0. It's as though it contains ashes, this little box. It's as though he was once my pet. There is a security guard at the door. I'm a little ashamed of my battered, chewed-by-Teddy Prada handbag given to me by the designer 20 years ago. The security guard doesn't seem to notice and ushers me in. I do love high-end jewellers. They're as quiet as churches, worshipping as they do at the altar of money, and women who are smart enough to marry up, not down, as I did. Ooh. I was once given a tour of the Cartier shop in Paris. Elizabeth Taylor was a frequent customer. Her face is on almost every wall. She only pretended that Richard Burton bought her jewels to save his face. At that meeting, Cartier gave me a handbag, which I in turn gave to my sister in Australia. I don't think they appreciated it in Australia. I never saw it in photos. No. It's probably saved for best. People get things like that and save them for best. Well, she's in a care home now. She's not going to need it, is she? Well, she might do. The one Chanel number five bag I've been given... I bequeathed to my sister Claire, who died not long after, and I never got it back. I'm a little bit surprised she didn't ask for it back. Where is it? Yeah, but it was mine. I gave it to her. She died. I get it back. Yeah, but did you tell anyone? Did well, you they say, should have said, that? oh, well, that's obviously from Liz. Give it back to her. <laughs> it was Chanel. It's obviously Liz. So back to me at Tiffany in Old Bond Street. I'm shown to a banquette. And a young woman carefully takes the corpse of my relationship into a back room. That's never good, Ooh, is it? That's very poetic, though. Very poetic. I'm always nervous when people do this. It's like the Chancery Lane branch of Nat West in the early 80s, when I would go inside to cash a cheque. This was before ATMs were everywhere. And they would say, just one moment... I fully expected a portcullis to go down and an alarm to go off and to be arrested. Anyway, in Tiffany, I was quite prepared for the young woman to return, shaking her lovely head to break the news. I'm sorry, but these pearls are plastic. But no, hurrah! I can choose a pair of Elsa Peretti diamond stud earrings in a bevel setting and only have to fork out £90. As Basil Forty said to Polly, for the first time in my life, I'm ahead. There was a moment of nostalgia too, as I fondled the robin's egg blue little box. Before my wedding, I brought my two nieces, Sophie and Anna, into this shop to buy them their first Tiffany necklaces, little silver kidney beans. God, the optimism I used to have, the largesse, gone. 
disappeared as though it never happened, like the recent snow here in the Dales. I almost ran out of the store. I thought they were going to arrest me, take take the earrings back, tackle me to the floor. You made it out. I skipped to Selfridges, my spiritual home, to get one ear pierced. The lobe had had to be sewn up by a plastic surgeon after the earrings my ex-husband gave me fell into the hole because they were so small. Many my ear became infected. Private Eye later wrote that I got divorced due to having to upgrade jewellery. <laughs> Even though I emailed David to thank him for wildly expensive gift out of nowhere, I haven't told him I've exchanged it. He hasn't replied. Do men send women something from Tiffany if they no longer love them? Isn't that mixed signals? As I asked him in my email, what does the gift mean? I thought better of adding exactly. What does it mean exactly? Yeah, I'm surprised you didn't really. I'm surprised you held back. I want to know what it meant. I want to know what was going on. I think David regrets not doing more to hang on to me. I've been thinking the same about my ex-husband. The other day, I found a photo online of me with him at his book launch in 2006. Despite the fact the Daily Telegraph, in a catty piece by a staunchly Catholic female writer, thank you, God, farewell, sisterhood. I don't know. I've I've often been told that I'm, because I'm not religious, that I, I'm not a nice person. Actually, I'm a really nice person. Who says that? I, I was a girl I used to know who was very, 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 very religious and no problem, that was fine. But she was always trying to get me to go to church and always saying that I was a bad person and I was terrible because I didn't believe in God. Really awful to me. I and bet I'm she like, ate sausages. Yeah, she did eat sausages. She did. Anyway, this horrible Catholic female writer told, told all the readers of the Telegraph I looked like a cadaver. Charming. Desperately clinging on to my husband with huge wild eyes. But in the photo I found online, I think I look lovely. I even remember exactly what I was wearing. A cream Chloe smog borrowed from the designer. My former husband was gazing at me in a way that can only be described as what happens when mini puppy spots a cocktail sausage. Hallelujah. He was adoring, he wasn't He was adoring. He? I thought he looked adoring. I'm certain he did love me once. He must regret losing me. We had such a lovely, privileged life. I was clearly not an old hag, as he was wont to call me. P.S. Do you want a P.S.? P.S. it. Have you read Hags by Victoria Smith? It's utterly brilliant. There are far worse things to do than grow older. And what they cut from my column was... My husband is now old as well. So it all happens to it happens to all of us, yeah, doesn't yeah. it? So don't call call me an effing old hag because you're old as well now and fat. <laughs> and fat. <laughs> Every week lots of you get in touch telling me what you think about my life and my decisions. So I think it's only fair that you get to have your say here on the podcast too. If you'd like to get in touch, then go to lizjonesgoddess.com or tweet me at lizjonesgoddess. Would you like to know what the readers are saying this Are week? they on our side? Are they on my side? Always, always. Well, we've got Betsy and we've been compared to quite a few different people, but Betsy 
says that we are like Margot and Barbara in The Good Life. So am I Margot and are you Barbara? Which one? Margot, Margot was Penelope Keith, wasn't she? The yeah, one. Barbara was the one digging in the garden. Yeah, I'm going to be the digging in the garden. I know. She says, but we're better. So love her. But she wants to know. Now, she has a question. And she says, if your ex you've, you've left out the bit that says, Betsy, you say, hello, Liz, I've read your column for years. I saw you once in a northern town. I said hello and how much I admired your writing, but you just kept walking away. Perhaps you didn't hear me. Betsy, I didn't hear you because I would never ignore anyone. No, she ever. wouldn't. I wouldn't, he- she I wouldn't, wouldn't hear you. She wouldn't. The clue is when she constantly says, Aye? Aye? Well, aye? Do you remember that horrible woman in the Telegraph? The Telegraph must really hate me. That horrible woman in the Telegraph wrote a piece about me saying that I was in a pub and she, wearing Prada, which I wasn't, and that... She said hello and I ignored her. And she wrote a whole piece in the Telegraph. That's and I said, well, I'm deaf. I didn't hear you. No, you never ignore anyone. That's and then true. Woman's Hour invited us both on, but they put us in different studios in different towns because <laughs> they thought we were going to fight. Yeah, bring it on. Fight. <laughs> <laughs> well, Betsy wants to know, if your ex-partners could be a pie, what kind of pie would they be? Vomity. Homity, oh! Do you remember homity pies? In I Cranks? do remember. Best things ever. And my sister used to call them vomity pies. Vomity pies, yes. Yeah, no pie that you want any part of eating. Right. So we then have Andrea. Now, Andrea, I don't, I don't even know if I should read this. Andrea says, "How can you think there's no secret message behind the Tiffany gift? He gave you a pearl necklace for goodness' yeah, sake." Yeah, but I wrote at the end of. The column last week, at the end, in italics, oh, God, what does the pearl necklace mean? No, 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 earrings it is. So, Andrew, I did get it, and I did put it at the end, so you obviously didn't finish the column, so you need to go back and reread it, or you're not allowed to read the next one. Well, I'm a bit traumatised because I didn't get it. I, when I, read... I wrote it at the end of my last column. But I didn't get it. When I read Andrea's letter, I was like... <gasps> Oh, but my the, God. But, Andrew, I'd already written it at the end of the column, which meant in your bath, the ending must have gone in the water and you didn't read it. Well, she says, anyway, Nick is correct, as usual. There's always an arterial motive behind gifts. Arterial motive. Especially from an ex. I hope you did not engage, but I very much cannot wait to find out. And do you want to know the last one? Do you want the last one? Yeah. She was almost going to press stop recording. That's a no, Jones. We have got Julia. And Julia says that she hopes I've calmed down after the excitement of last week. So I haven't really, Julia. I've got to be honest. I'm was, running It was Keanu. It was Keanu. And Keanu, as that, Nick announces him. I haven't got much pleasure in my life. Keanu, so yes. Shut up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, <laughs> to cling to that pleasure. But she said, just had to say, after listening to the last podcast... Don't stop singing. No, no, no. I join in as it sounds so funny. Sounds like a lot of cats howling. That's you. Well, not you, of course, Nick. You have a lovely voice. Thank you, Julia. But Liz and me, just love the podcast. Keep going because you're my award winners. So I am going to play us out. Do I have to sing? You have to sing. I'm playing us out with a song especially for you and Julia. Ready? Everyone join in. Sing, sing a song, sing a 
sing out loud. Let your whole life know. This is the bit. Worry if you're not good enough for anyone else to hear. Just sing. Sing a song. So I keep singing everyone. Sing out loud. Sing out strong. Well, that's it from us this week. If you enjoyed listening to Liz Jones's Diary, the podcast, why not visit melplus.co.uk forward slash subscribe to get access to all our podcasts, videos, opinion pieces and more. I'll be back next Sunday. But for now, I'm Liz Jones. And I'm Nick. Goodbye. Goodbye.